We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Get your uh, pen out. Whatever you're going to take notes on, a piece of paper or your tablet or your pen or your phone or wherever you're going to do this. I'm going to tell you a story. I was reading this story this week. I've read it lots of times, but it, I just noticed some things about it I thought were quite interesting. It was a king named Ben-Hadad, and he was the king of the Arameans. And he, he took his army and he blockaded the city of Samaria, where at that time the children of Israel... Uh, were residing with the king. The king was King Ahab at that time. And this is where Ahab had decided that he was going to, instead of Jerusalem, this is where he was going to rule. So the king of the Arameans comes and blocks, blockades the city. And he sends a message into the king and to all the inhabitants. And basically the message is this. I'm not going to read it to you. But basically he said... I'm here to take everything of yours of value that I want and there's not anything you can do about it and you might as well hand it over to me because if you don't just give it to me, I'm going to take it anyway. And there's more to the story than that, but the gist of the story is this. God had other plans. God had other ideas about what should happen in that battle. And by the time that that battle was over, the Arameans had been defeated and sent packing back home. When they got home, they decided that they would prepare for another attack, that they would kind of lick their wounds and gather themselves together, get their minds right, and at another time when they felt strong again, they would go back and try it again. But when their officers of the, of, of the Arameans gathered together with King Ben-Hadad, they were having a what went well meeting. And not much had gone well. And so the officers thought they knew what had happened. They thought they had a thumb on the pulse of why they had suffered this defeat. And so they told their king... The reason we lost that battle is because the Israelis, God, is a God of the mountains. And we fought in the mountain. He's not a God in the valley or in the plains. But he's a mountain God, and so they defeated us. And so what we need to do the next time we go back is... We need to gather ourselves up and strengthen ourselves even more so and fortify ourselves. But the next time we'll pick the location and we won't fight on the mountain again next time because that's where their God is strong. He's the God of the mountain. So I take you to the text. 1 Kings chapter 20. Let me give you a second to find it. 1 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse 28. I've given you a foundation so you'll understand this text. 
First Kings 20, verse 28. The prophet the first time around had come and spoken to the king of Israel, told him what to do and what was going to happen. Here he comes again. Because the enemy has come back now. It's the season for battle, and so the enemy has strengthened themselves, and they think they are ready now to, to pick this battle and to win. And so the man of God comes again and says to the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans said that the Lord is a God of the hills, but not a God of the valleys, I will hand over their entire army to you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And they camped facing one another for seven days. And on the seventh day, the battle started. And the Israelites killed a 100,000 Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The survivors fled to Aphek. The city where the wall fell on 27,000 of them. The wall fell on them. That's significant. A hundred thousand of them die in a battle due to soldiers. Twenty-seven thousand of them die trying to run away, got hit by a wall. And Ben-Hadad, the king of the Arameans, had also fled. And he came to the city and he hid in an inner room. The Arameans found out on that day that our God is not just the God of the mountains or even the God of the plains, but he is the God of everywhere. Even in the valleys. The, the place, this is so interesting and I want you to get this. History records that the place that the Arameans picked for the second battle was a place called Aphek. And that later on, are you with me? Are you still hearing this? After that battle, later on, history records that Aphek was swallowed up by an earthquake and formed a lake about nine miles in circumference, in which a man named Paul Lucas said later on that there were still houses there that could be seen in their entirety today under the water. Aphek wasn't even a valley, and it became one when God decided for it to. And God is over all that too. He was the God of the mountain, he was the God of the plains, he was the God of the valley, and he was even the God who created a valley when he wanted to. And all this got me to thinking that God is the God of the valleys of our lives. Now all of us love it when he's the God of our mountaintop experiences, right? And that's where we want to stay, that's where we want to live. I noticed one of the, I guess one of the first things I noticed uh, several years ago when we were in Israel, that almost every city and town and village was located on the tops of the mountains. It's because so many of those cities and villages and towns are so old. And back in the day before technology is what it is today, they were defending themselves by being on top of a mountain because they could see anything around them. It was, it was more easily defended. It's where all of us would prefer to live and dwell if we could because the sight is better. 
there's a protection. There's, there's something about being able to be on top of a mountain. When we sing our happiest songs, we, when we tell our greatest stories, when we relive our most festive occasions of our life, those are the mountaintop experiences. We tell stories with a smile on our face about the mountaintop experiences. We don't cry over the mountains. The mountains are the place that it's fun to be, it's good to be, it's secure to be, it's safe to be, it's happy to be. Mountains are good. We'll always pick them over the valleys. And in our minds, the valleys are to be avoided at any cost. So we attempt to pray them away every day in our prayers. The prayers don't sound like this, but this is what they mean. God, keep me and everyone I love on top of this mountain until you come back to take us to the next one. That's really what our prayers mean. Whether they sound like that or not, that's what we're praying when we pray things like, God bless all my kids, God bless my family, God bless my job, God bless la 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 la. We never say, oh God, let me lose my job tomorrow. Oh God, help me to be diagnosed with an incurable disease tomorrow. God help me wake up tomorrow with every tire on the car flat because I just want to grow closer to you in that experience of having to change those tires and live through that adversity. We never pray those prayers, but instead we always pray for traveling mercies. You never see anybody praying, Pastor, we're getting ready to go on a trip, we're going on vacation. Would you pray that our vehicle breaks down? Would you pray that we, that we have a car wreck? Pray that everything goes well. Because we would never choose a valley over a mountain, would we? And yet we catch ourselves in spite of our best efforts and most vehement prayers sliding back down the side of the hill into another valley. And we can't stop ourselves. And the valleys of our lives are inevitable. Valleys are vulnerable, difficult places. The Bible talks about some of the valleys that we have to reside in from time to time in this life. Psalms 23 verse 4 talks about the most dreaded and fearful of all valleys that we'll go through. It's the valley of the shadow of death. But it's not the only one. It's just the worst one. Because the psalmist can't think of anything that'd be worse than that. But there's also other valleys that we go through. There's, there's valleys of weeping. There's valleys of obscurity. There are valleys of loneliness. There are valleys of conflict. And a lot of us spend a great deal of time in one valley or another. In fact, if I ask you how many people today are in some kind of a valley in your life, I guarantee you, if you're honest, at least a third of us would say that for this reason. Some people spend at least probably half of their life in one valley or another. Because it turns out on this planet... There seems to be as many mountains as there are valleys and vice versa. So you're going to end up, if you go anywhere, if you move at all, you're going to find yourself here and there many times in your life. So what are we going to do? 
We walk among the commonplace circumstances of this life. And that puts us in valleys. If we can't pray them away, if we can't avoid them, then how are we going to navigate through those valleys? And that's what's crucial. So I'm going to take you to 23rd Psalm. I want you to see something. This is the psalm that David relied so heavily upon. Starting verse 4, David said, Even though I walk through the dark valley of death, because you are with me, I fear no harm. Your rod and your staff give me courage. And you prepare a banquet for me while my enemies watch. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And certainly goodness and mercy will stay close to me all the days of my life. And I will remain in the Lord's house for days without end. Now I got to show you something. Wave at me if you're still paying attention. I got to show you something. The valley of the shadow of death. I've told you this before is a literal place. In Israel, we saw that when we were there. And I'm not going to go into all that again because it hasn't been that long ago since I talked to you about that. But symbolically, that valley of the shadow of death represents to us the most desperate and difficult valley of all. That is the valley where the, you and I face our carnality and that is the place where eventually we will have to come to terms with letting go of this life and moving into the next. And though we are believers and though we know what awaits us and we're excited about that, it's still difficult to get ourselves ready for that. In fact, for most people, it doesn't happen until they're on the bed. In fact, not too long ago, I visited with a woman in, in the hospital and, and they said she's really sick. She, you know, different ones were saying she's really sick, she's going to die. I came home and told Deb, I said, she's not getting ready to die. She said, why not? I said, because she's not ready to. I've seen this too many times. I've done this too many times. She's still talking about, I got to do this, I got to do that, and this one's not right. And I gotta, I'm like, she's not getting ready to die. And I was right. Now, she since then has, but she lived a couple, probably a couple of more months in the time that she needed in order to get some things taken care of. I'm telling you, I see that when people get on that, on that bed, when they finally get to that place, as a believer, there's a peace and a comfort that comes over them and a smile on their face and they're worshiping and they're talking about, I, I'm ready, I'm ready, I love every, I love y'all, I'll see you soon. I see that happen so many times with people when they're about to go. We're all going to at some point be faced with the valley of the shadow of death unless Jesus comes to rapture us. We know he's coming, but if he doesn't come soon, then we're all going to face that valley of the shadow of death. In my opinion, it is about the most difficult valley that we have to prepare for and deal with. And so if it, if we could, if all of us can agree upon that, I, I don't know what would be worse, but if all of us can agree upon, wow, the valleys don't get any harder than this one, then there's a place I can take you. If we, could, if we can all light upon that same fact together and say, well, Pastor, you're right. I mean, I can't think of anything that's going to be darker than that decision. I can't think of anything that's going to be more difficult than letting go. All right. If it's the worst of the valleys that we're going to face, then let's see how bad it's going to be. I'm going to list for you the promises that are given us from God 
even in the darkest valley we will ever walk through. Take your pen, walk back through 23rd with me, back to verse 4. The first thing you need to understand about walking even through the worst of all valleys is this. Number one, I'm not alone. Even though I walk through the dark valley of death, you are with me. I'm not alone. Number two, I fear no harm. I'm not afraid. Write them down. Number one, I'm not alone. Number two, I'm not afraid. What else does he say? He goes on. Number three. I fear no harm. I am courageous. That's number three. Number four. Will your rod and your staff give me courage? Number four. Verse five. You prepare a banquet for me while my enemies watch. I'm provided for. Number five. You anoint my head with oil. You know what that one means? I am healed. I'm not going to go into depth on that, but that's what it means. I am healed. Number six. My cup overflows. That means I am blessed. Number seven, certainly goodness and mercy will stay close to me all the days of my life. Number seven, I am pursued by the goodness and the mercy of God. Number eight, and I will remain in the Lord's house for days without end. I am alive and with God forever. Now, if these eight things are good for the worst valley of our life, it would suggest to me that they cover all of the other ones too. Fair enough? All of those of you that are logical and analytically minded, would you go down that road that if we're given the common denominators of the worst valley, that this would cover all the valleys before it that are not as bad, which says to me that whatever valley you are in, these are your promises. Even if you find yourself on a bed facing the valley of the shadow of death, if this is the worst that can happen to you, then you're on top of the mountain all the time. Did you not get that? If in your very worst valley... Those eight promises are going to be yours. Then you're never in a valley. It's never too dark. It's never too deep. God is still God in every valley that we go through. I remember a story about the little old lady who lived next door to the atheist. And she used to torment that poor man, not purposely, but just because he was so belligerent. And she would stand on her porch and she would sometimes just lift her hands and worship God. And he would see that and it just, he just, it just made him so angry. And she would just talk about the goodness of God. And sometimes she'd stand on her porch and just praise the Lord. And he'd holler back at her, there ain't no Lord. And one day, 
she was really needing groceries. And financially, she was struggling. And cupboards were bare. And she walked out on her porch. She was standing with her hands lifted in the air. And she just began to pray. And she said, Lord, I love you. I praise you. I bless you. I always will. But you know my circumstances. And you know I don't have any food in the house. I'm having a hard time. Please, Lord, send me some groceries. The next morning, she got up and there was a big bag of groceries on the front porch. And she opened the door, looked at that. She picked them up and she began to rejoice. And she was thanking God. She said, praise you, Lord, you brought me groceries. And that old mean neighbor jumped out behind the bush and he said, gotcha. He said, God didn't give you those groceries. I did. And she said, praise the Lord. He didn't just provide groceries, but he made the devil pay for them. Because God is God over all the valleys. He's God of the hills. He's God of the plains. He's God of the valley. He wins every victory. He keeps his family close. He's going to defeat every enemy. He's going to make the devil pay for everything that he's caused. And though Benadad thought that Israel's God was limited to a certain place, he found out that day that our God is just as strong in the deepest valley as he is on the highest mountain peak. He's just God everywhere. Somebody say amen. And so we'll pray. Because somebody's in a valley. Somebody's always in a valley. One of the most difficult things about doing what I do is waking up every day with the knowledge that somebody in my family that I love so much is in a valley. There's always somebody in the valley. There's always somebody struggling. People who are sick, people who are hurting, people who are broke, people whose relationships are falling apart, people who are in the valley of the shadow of death. Just this past week, guys, one of our dear buddies from our Hispanic service passed away and left behind a wife and three little children. Three little ones. And that poor lady sat right there and she just wept and sobbed through that service because the breadwinner is gone. And she don't have a clue what she's going to do with three babies. This life is hard. It's unbearable without Jesus. I'm struggling with whether or not to tell you this story because I don't want to put anybody's business on the street. And a lot of you would know who I'm talking about. But he's coming through. I counseled just last week with a young man who <clears throat> took a nine millimeter and felt for his heart to see where it was beating. And once he located the beating, he put the 9mm to it and shot there. Three weeks later, 
He's sitting in my office. Didn't even have surgery. The hole in the tub behind him was bigger than either one that went in or out of his body. And he didn't even hit a lung, didn't hit his heart, didn't hit nothing. And I said, you're either the worst shot that ever lived. Or else God must want you here. And he said, I'm not a bad shot. And I said, do you think that was a miracle? He said, it had to be. And I said, do you think God's got any more of those in him? He said, he's infinite. He could do as many miracles as he wants. I said, you reckon he could do any more for you? I guess. I said, I think he could too. If he could do that, then he can do anything he needs to do to make your life worth living. So some of you are struggling because the valley this time is so deep and so dark and so heavy and so burdensome. David walked through that valley. He walked through some really deep, dark, lonely, painful valleys. He says, I've discovered eight things about the worst valley anybody can go through. And they're all good things about our God. He can bring us through the valleys of our life. He's just as much God down there as he is up here. Doesn't make a bit of difference to him. He's gonna, uh, he's able to navigate you through, over, under, around, wherever you need to go. He's gonna get you where you need to get. He's still God of the valleys so we're going to sing a song and open up these altars I didn't preach very long this morning look at your watch you, some of you already knew you were like oh my lands is he, is he just calling halftime he's getting ready to rest to do it again no I'm not that's it that's all you need that's all you need is an encouragement and an opportunity to get on your knees I have prayed today for you I have prayed for a peace that passes understanding that can keep your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus I have prayed for healing I have prayed for restoration praying for restored joy But the rest is up to you. And what you need to do, you don't need a bunch of folks gathering around you. You just need to get on your knees and on your face before God and pour your heart out to Him again like David used to do in those songs. You just need to remind Him of how much you love Him and how much you trust Him and how you're going to serve Him no matter what. You just need to spend some time in His presence and allow Him to give you what you need to crawl up out of this latest valley. And so when we sing, you come. Don't just sit there and wait on somebody else. You come. You lead. You lead the charge. The one who's most discouraged. The one who's in the deepest valley. I want you to lead the charge to the mountain. I want you to be the one to lead the rest of the people to a place of prayer dedication and commitment, a place of peace and a place of rest. As they sing, let's pray. God bless you.